May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning again. It's very good to see you all uh, this morning Uh, again. My name is Mike Besson, Archdeacon. Uh, I will be working closely with you and with the folks on your vestry, eventually your search committee, uh, as we begin uh, the search for uh, your next rector. Uh, There's a couple of things I want to say, though, before I begin. First of all, I am so excited for you all that Phil Mason uh, has been appointed as your interim priest. I have known uh, Phil almost since my arrival here about four and a half years ago. Um, I'm surprised that Phil answers my phone calls anymore because when I call him, I usually want something like, hey, you know, there's a church. And, and he never says no. He, he, he always, he always, he's always willing to serve. And he has served as an interim priest in this diocese for, for, for years. And I consider him a close personal friend. Uh, I don't know if he's watching today or not, but I'm going to fill you in on a little something. His favorite place to go to eat lunch is Saluna on Broadway because he loves the chicken mole enchiladas. That's his thing. So just, just so you know, a little sopapilla maybe, a little churro on the side, I don't know. But Phil is a great guy, and I think he begins uh, next Sunday. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, all the good news because you're just going to love him. He's going to love you. I was telling the 8 o'clock service that one of the best compliments that you can possibly pay an interim rector is no matter where he goes, and I really do mean this, someone will send me an email, text, or they'll call me on the phone and they'll say, you know, we can make this search end right now, right? Which is the highest compliment that an interim priest can be paid, that people just love him and they want him to stay. So, so uh, I, I'm really looking forward to see what God is going to do uh, through his ministry and your partnership with him. The only other thing I want to say, and I'm going to try to find her. Where's Jennifer? Is she is she in here somewhere? Jennifer Murphy. She, there, there you are. See, you didn't think I was going to do this, did you? But uh, again, at the eight o'clock service, I, I said that a, a few weeks ago uh, I was at Mustang Island, one of our conference centers. I was at the examining chaplains retreat that happens every year for a few days, always on my birthday. Uh, and we are there because uh, we invite all of our seminarians to come and to gather and the examining chaplains. They don't really examine, but they, you know, they ask questions and it's kind of a group setting. And, you know, everybody's trying to see where they are in their theological education. And not long ago, it was decided that we would go ahead and invite the folks who are coming into seminary. They haven't started yet, but just so that they could get the lay of the land and feel more comfortable, you know, with everything. And so and so I, I, w- I was glad to know that Jennifer uh, w- was there. And um, so, you know, I sat in on the meetings and then there's always that, you know, that nighttime meeting when all the chaplains get together and we talk about, you know, what we saw and and what we heard. And and I remember when Jennifer's name came, I was like, Jennifer Murphy. And uh, someone said, hey, you know, she hasn't started yet in seminary. And someone else said, you'd never know it. Already, she's she's already smarter than I am, I'm telling you. And so uh, I know that you all are going to be saying goodbye to her uh, in the next few weeks as she uh, moves on to Austin to begin her formation. But again, I am so excited about what God is already doing in her. Uh, I I just I happened to be on your Facebook page not long ago, and it was the Sunday 
when she was preaching and she's just you're a brilliant preacher and you're just going to grow in your life with God and your formation. And so we're just really excited about what God is going to do in her just now and in the future. And I also want to say thanks to you because it is no small thing when a church raises up someone uh, to, to go on into the ministry. So thank you for answering the call and thank you all reconcilers for raising her up into this profound ministry. Uh, and if I, and, and look, yeah, get, yes, absolutely. This, this space reminds me so much of the church where I came from, St. Catherine's. It was kind of a big space and I would wander around. So if I am moving around too much back there, cause I can kind of see the camera, move, just tell me and I will do my best to stop. All right. But, uh, so the last time I was here, Sitting in this space, I was here for Josh's installation as your rector. And I don't remember how long ago that was. Maybe it was a couple of years ago. I don't remember what it was. But, but uh, So I, I never run late. I always like to be early. But I remember I was running late that evening. I, I, was, I was caught at the office. And I think we were still doing some social distancing. And so you know we were kind of sitting apart, and space was limited. And I I walked in late, so I I sat right there in the in the very back, right there. There was a row, right back there. And I'm sitting back there, and I don't know. I guess it was like late afternoon, early evening, and I'm sitting there just taking in the beauty of this space. There is something about this the architecture which is unique to any other church. Uh, in the diocese, and especially in the evening, it kind of takes on that that red pink glow. It looks beautiful in pictures and i'm and i 'm just sitting back there as people are coming in, and I can see the beautiful courtyard and I want you to know that I never say anything just to make you feel good about yourselves. I really mean what i 'm about to say, and I know i 'm preaching to the choir, but you just feel as though you are in the nearer presence of God when you are in this place. And so I'm back there looking around and taking it in. And something, once the service started, Bishop High was here doing the service if you were here. But there was something off over here, like to my, to my left. I could see it out of the corner of my eye. And I looked over and I saw outside on the other side of this window, I saw a woman and a younger girl that looked to be her daughter. And they were sort of moving around and they were looking in rather intently to what was going on in here, this church, you know, that was full of people. And in fact, I was so intrigued by them, I took a picture of them. You see them right there. And it wasn't long before uh, both of them, you know, they sort of hopped up on this on this table here. And I, it, I, I couldn't help but keep looking over at them because I was like every once in a while during the service, I could see the mother and she would hold her hand up like this. You know, she's just in an attitude of worship. And then when we would be doing our music, I would see her moving her hands back and forth. And I'd see her daughter moving along with her like this. And then sometimes she would put her hands on her knees and just look, trying so hard to to see what was going on in here. And I don't know, there was just something about that visual, something about that picture. It was intriguing to me. I kept thinking, you know, here we are all in here. They are out there on the outside looking in and I kept wondering like are they gonna are they gonna are they gonna come are they gonna come in right well 
there was a point in the service where the mom, she, she jumped off the table and she walked right around here. I know that's where the door is. So I thought, ah, okay, here she comes, right? She's probably going to find an usher or somebody and she's going to ask, is it okay if my daughter and I come in? And I, I was kind of hoping they were going to sit by me. Well, no sooner did I have the thought that I saw her coming back around this way to the table. Only this time she had a bulletin in her hand. And she got back up on the table and she opened the bulletin and I can see her looking at the bulletin, looking in here, looking at the bulletin. And again, I'm just sort of taken by this visual of them out there and all of us in here outside looking in. And then it came time for communion. This was very interesting to her. Because I was standing there and Rusty was standing right back there with me. And I'm, you know, standing there waiting to, to receive communion. And I'm watching them and I'm looking over and I'm thinking, okay, now surely they're going to come in now. Maybe I should go out there and invite them, I thought. I should go out there and extend an invitation. I'm, I'm sitting back here with a collar around my neck, right? This is what we're supposed to do. But I didn't. And because I didn't, now I'm starting to feel guilty, right? I should go out there. I should in, invite them in. And I'm, I'm waiting. Surely they're going to come in and receive what we call the foretaste of the heavenly banquet. Surely they're going to come in. And I waited and I waited and they didn't. And as I'm receiving communion, I'm literally watching them outside looking in. And that's when it happened. And I'm not trying to be like overly dramatic here, but I'm telling you, I saw something that I still remember this to this day and will probably remember for the rest of my life. After everybody had received communion and, you know, we were kind of cleaning up the altar. And you know, when the bishops here, there's like 52 people up here. You know, everybody's clearing everything away and trying to figure out. And I saw Josh just sort of slip out the door and walk over here. And he offered them both communion. That thing that we Episcopalians believe represents the full presence of Jesus Christ. And after the service, I walked over to Josh. He was standing right over there in the door. And I just walked right up to him. I really wasn't thinking about what I said. And I was like, I saw what you did. Yeah. And you can imagine these, you know, like what? Well, I told him, I said, Josh... I saw you take communion to these two people outside the window. And it might seem like a small thing, but that simple act of hospitality for me defines the gospel. And I told him, and if he were here, he would, he would, I hope he would remember this. I said, Josh, when I'm in my travels around the diocese and I'm in different churches every week and I have an opportunity to share that story in that visual, I'm going to do it. Everyone's going to know this story. And I have in the two years or so since I saw it. It is that simple act of hospitality. Because you see what Josh did. And I can tell you that I know he had been here a while on the night of his installation. But you're always nervous and you're uptight, you know. And the bishop's here and there's lots of moving parts, you know. And you want everything to be perfect and everything just to be, you know, as wonderful as you imagine it. But in the midst of all of that, he saw her. He saw them. And He welcomed them. And extended to them that foretaste of the heavenly banquet. And I'm not telling you, I'm not about to tell you something you don't already know about yourselves. 
But you do know that Church of Reconciliation is known in this diocese not just for its unique architecture. See, this church is known. I'm telling you this is truth. This church is known as a place where you see people who may have felt like outsiders their entire lives. But you see them and you welcome them. And I ask you, is there a greater witness to the Gospel than that? You see them and you welcome them. So the Gospel this morning says that Jesus was amongst His disciples. He's walking around and it says that He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax booth, sitting at a table, and He said to Matthew, follow Me. Now there's a couple of things we need to know uh, about that story to really grasp the full meaning of it. Now, first thing I'm going to say, uh, does anybody here work for the IRS? Anybody? All right. So, and if you're watching online, I'm sorry. Okay. But, uh, okay, so even now, 2023, tax collectors, all right, I don't know. If I get a phone call from a tax collector or someone from the IRS calls and says, I think we need to go to lunch, I'm not so sure. I'm pretty sure my, my blood pressure starts going up, my pulse, you know, this not exactly somebody I want to be hanging out with. It's tax collectors. Well, you can take that and magnify it a million times in Jesus' day because the Jewish tax collectors worked for who? For Rome. And Rome had already like levied this almost impossible tax burden on the Jewish people. And the Jewish tax collectors also were known to, well, they were known to skim a little off the top. Some of them were known to ask and collect more than was actually owed. Stealing from their own people. Making a profit off their own people. You know what? The Roman government really couldn't care less as long as they were getting what was due to them. They don't care. And so tax collectors in the time of Jesus were like outcasts. Evil. I mean, people who were despised because you don't take from your own people. It's bad enough you're working for Rome, but now you're going to steal and make the burden even greater for your own people? Tax collectors. Here's the other thing about the story. Is that by this point in the Gospel, there were big crowds following Jesus around. Okay, So wherever Jesus was going, if He was moving around, if He was teaching there were lots of people around him. Isn't it something, like I don't think it's a small detail, it's something that out of all of the people in the Gospel reading today, crowd of people, out of all the people that were following Jesus and were there, people who were already beginning to believe, people who were already following Jesus, people who were already beginning to commit to this new way of life, out of all of the people that Jesus could have chosen in that moment, who did He choose? The tax collector. The one who was on the outside looking in. Jesus saw Him amongst a crowd of people and called Him, follow Me. Matthew, of all people, follow Me. There's a 
theologian you will become somewhat familiar with uh, at Seminary of the Southwest named William Barclay. Uh, he points out something about this story, and when he's writing about it, he, he's thinking also about Luke's version of this same story. And William Barclay points out that in Luke's version of this same story, there's a particular word used for Saul. Jesus saw Matthew. And this is what William Barclay says. I want to make sure I get this right. He says that it means to gaze at something or someone until something has been grasped of the significance of that person or thing. I'm going to say that again. It means to gaze at something or someone until something has been grasped of the significance of that person or thing. Jesus saw the outcast in the crowd. You know, the sinner, the thief, perhaps. And he saw something in Matthew that maybe Matthew didn't even see in himself. I don't know if you all have come across something that me and my family, we've just kind of fallen in love with this thing. It was my my 16-year-old my son, Lorenzo, who introduced me to it. It's called The Chosen. Anybody, anybody been watching The Chosen? This sort of this series about Jesus and the disciples. I want to tell you that if you are not familiar with it, please, if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember you got to get online somehow, some way, and begin watching The Chosen. And if you watch The Chosen, you know that Matthew's character in, in The Chosen is the most unique of all of the disciples. He's very unsure of himself. He looks down a lot. He's got this fractured relationship with his parents. Everybody hates him because he's a tax collector. And I think of him now when I, when I think of Matthew. And that Jesus saw something in him that he may not have seen in himself that others may not have seen. And he looked at him and he said, You, Matthew, follow me. I bet I'm the only one here this morning, probably, who has ever spent days, weeks, months, seasons believing in my heart that I too am on the outside looking in. Probably the only one. But just in case there's one other person, you might relate. You know, I've said this in other places, but I'm 58 years old. Not old by any stretch of the imagination. I'm starting to feel a little, even walking around right now, my back's hurting a little bit, but that's okay. Not quite there just yet, but I'm 58 years old. And my goodness, sometimes, you know, I start thinking about all the things over these 58 years, all the things that I've done, that I've left undone. I start thinking about all the times when I haven't loved God with my whole heart and mind, when I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. Sometimes I begin thinking about when my motivations aren't exactly what they should be for certain things, or maybe I've had these terrible thoughts about people, or, or maybe I've, I've, I've refused or been unable to forgive someone who is in need of forgiveness or extending grace and mercy. And I start believing that all these things have been just adding up over the past five decades of my life. Like I'm going down I-35 the other day. 
I have a word for that, but I'm not going to mention right now what it is. I-35. But I'm going down I-35, and sometimes I'm driving down there at the, at, the, at the worst time of the day. It's for work or whatever, and I'm driving, and I see my exit coming up. And you know what traffic is like on I-35, and I need to make my exit, and I got my signal. But by gosh, the person next to me is not letting me in, and I miss my exit. Now i got to sit in three or four more miles of dead stop traffic to get to where I need to go and make a U-turn and go all the way back around. And the things that I can think about the person. And sometimes I'll say them out loud with the windows rolled up. And sometimes I'm doing that with my clergy collar on in the diocesan vehicle. Man, just going off on people. I think about those things. Or, or I think, you know, my goodness, there is so much suffering in this world. There is. And yet I can get so wound up when I go to the Whataburger and I order my usual thing. That's the only thing I ever get at the Whataburger. I get my double meat, double cheese Whataburger with lettuce, tomatoes, and pickles with mayonnaise, no mustard, because we all know you never put mustard on a cheeseburger. And I know I just lost some of you right there. It's always mayonnaise, right, Ellen? It's always mayonnaise. And man, I get home and I hadn't eaten all day or maybe I just got through working out and I'm starving to death and I unwrap the water burger and what do I see? Mustard all over the burger. And I'm telling you, it's like it's, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to me. And I'm thinking about the person who cooked it and I'm thinking about the person in the drive-thru. All these horrible things. And I just, and I, and I, I, just, I, I just do this again and again and again. And those are just the minor things. And I wonder, isn't this adding up somehow? And on my worst days, or in my worst seasons, usually when I'm really tired, or I'm laying in bed at night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and can't sleep, and I start thinking about all the things, God begins to seem far away. He doesn't seem close. And I know that, you know, I'm a priest with theological education. But I can lay there in bed at night and begin to wonder if I have moved myself beyond the grace of God. Is it possible to be forgiven for all that? Really all that? And there's more to come. I wonder these things. Am I on the outside looking in? Again, I know I'm the only one here that's ever thought that. But just in case there's one other person, you know what it's like to be outside looking in. When I get there in that place, when we get there in this place, it is so important that we remember the Gospel today. We remember Matthew. We remember this story and all others like them. And there's many other stories just like it when Jesus saw someone, a sinner, someone who was on the outside looking in, which by the way, seems to be the people that Jesus was drawn to, and He drew near to them. And often He called them. Sometimes He called them by name. 
seeing something in them that they may not see in themselves. Seeing in them what the people around them could not always see in themselves. When we come across this this story of the calling of Matthew, a profound truth is revealed. And that is truth in capital letters. No one, my brothers and sisters in Christ, no one is ever on the outside looking in. Can I get an amen? Amen. No one. Jesus is always close. Drawing us as close as we can possibly be. And you know what? When we encounter something like that in our world, when we experience it ourselves or we see it, well, then we know that we have encountered something of the Spirit. Which is exactly what I believe I was seeing that night at Josh's installation. We encounter the living God when we receive a sign that God, that Jesus never leaves us and is always with us. That we are never outsiders. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this changes the world. This transforms our lives. This changes everything. This is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.